This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me as always is Mr. Matt Caraccio. Matt, welcome back. Oh, Paul, this is this is where you finally, as we continue to kind of unpack the draft, we finally get that opportunity to kind of probe the minds of those experts out there that have been living and breathing the draft along with us. And now we finally have a chance to see where where does the dust settle? What should we be looking forward to with these players as they progress now at the NFL level? Yeah, and I, we're so excited to once again have joining us back here at the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast, basically an annual contributor right around or post-draft, is Mr. Matt Williamson. Matt, welcome back. How's everything going? Things are fantastic, Matt and Paul. I greatly appreciate the offer and the uh, invitation to join you guys once again. I was telling you guys off the air, just finished my Locked On NFL podcast. Now we're going to do this one, which is going to be awesome. And then my man Ryan McDowell and I are going to do Dynasty Blueprint. So it's a triple header, just boom, boom, boom. I just finished lunch with the fam and said, I'll see you guys at dinner. I'll be back up in about five hours. <laughs> well, you know what? It's, it's a welcome distraction from everything else that's going on in, in the world right now. I know Matt and I have constantly been talking about, you know, doing the podcast, just interacting with other people in the industry. It's It's been a nice break from everything else just to have this football, you know, and fantasy and the draft and everything about it to be a little bit of a distraction. So for sure, Next half hour or so, we'll greatly enjoy talking to you. So let's get right into it. And let's start at the running back position because I think it's, you know, I really thought that the draft was going to kind of settle things a little bit in terms of, you know, fantasy value in terms of rankings because you know everyone seemed to like five guys for the most part, and then a little bit of a teardrop, I think. But everyone had them in a different order. And now post-draft, here we are. I still think there's some uncertainty in terms of, you know, how they landed. Everyone seems, as Matt's been saying here Saturday, Sunday, everyone seems to basically have a roommate and, you know, somebody else in that backfield that they're, you know, that they're kind of wit for either the short term, maybe a little longer term for some others. What do you just kind of make as the running backs now as the dust is settled a couple weeks out from the draft? Has a lot changed in terms of what your thought of your rankings before the draft to now where we know post-draft and landing spots? Yeah, that, that's I like that term that they all kind of have a roommate now, you know, and I, I don't know how long those roommates are going to be around. Like I look at Mark Ingram and think he's just a short-term speed bump. I, I think the same is true with Marlon Mack. I like carry on quite a bit. I don't think Henderson is ever going to threaten acres and Edwards Hilaire has Williams there, but there's just so much volume to go around that, especially in PPR, I think he needs to be number one. And then just a little note on him that just kind of dawned on me in the last day or two, because if we don't get people in the stands, some people were recording John reporting. John Clayton was talking about it yesterday that the salary cap might not go up next year. It might even go down. And if you're the Chiefs with Chris Jones and Mahomes, maybe Watkins, Williams, even Kelsey, you know, they may not have as long a terms of future there as everybody assumes. I mean, they have some huge contracts they have to get done. So maybe his role is just the tip of the iceberg right now. Yeah, I think I think you're I think you're spot on with that. And I think it could be, you know, it could be an interesting so why don't we just phrase it like this? Like, is Clyde Edwards Hilaire, 
your number one post draft as the total package with that receiving capability. Most leagues, you know, I was recently listening to your episode with Evan Silva and you guys were talking, you know, about, you know, the pass catching role that he's kind of locked into. Cause I do know some people are on the Jonathan Taylor side. I know Madden and I here are on the Clyde Edwards Hilaire side at the top. Where do you stand on that? Yeah. And I, I, I do have Edwards Hilaire, assuming we're talking PPR or some form of it. Yes. Um, just because of the volume of the offense. I mean, I feel like Andy Reid just kind of gave the league the finger and said, we're going to score 45 a game, but do your best to keep up. And therefore, Edwards Hilaire is going to end up in the end zone or end up with a lot of receptions early in the game, late in the game. Uh, I just think the offense is so high powered that it raises all ships. But like, if you're talking from a dynasty perspective, I don't think he's Zeke Elliott coming out, let alone a Barkley. I think he's a good prospect, but I think people might be overvaluing him a little bit. Like I saw in startups, he's going at the end of round one, beginning of round two. Like, wow. I mean, I don't know about that. Never seen him yet at the NFL level. And he's not good in protection. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what's interesting is we always talk about the the kind of Curious case of how fantasy may mirror reality and vice versa and how there is that at times that overlap. And I'm just curious, um, you know, out of all the running backs in this class, I, I, I tend to be a little bit more excited about the dynasty prospects at times with a player like J.K. Dobbins. Am mm-hmm. I a fool, Matt? Am I a fool? I mean, no. where, do you, where do you stand on J.K. Dobbins maybe? And he creeped up my board now to number two. He's right behind Clyde edwards Solaire. I have him a little bit over Jonathan Taylor because, again, I think we talk about versatility. We think about the interchangeable parts of an offense, albeit quarterback and wide receiver and coaches. I don't see much changing in Baltimore, really, except for maybe, you know, I think J.K. Dobbins is the guy coming in. They may add some receivers, but I think in terms of the battery of the offense, I I can't really see much changing. But yet, I think Indianapolis may be a little bit more of a, maybe a little bit more of a kind of, let's wait and see as things go on type of situation, which is why I put JK just ahead, just ahead. And I could not, anybody can argue with me just ahead of Dob, uh, Dobbins, just ahead of Taylor. I mean, am I a fool? No, I love it. And by a very narrow margin yep. going into the draft, Dobbins was my number one running back fantasy or not, whatever. But again, I mean, we're splitting very thin hairs and I mean, just look at, Work done in TJ Duckett with Michael Vick or Chris Johnson with Vince Young. I mean, the Lamar factor, and you mentioned it, such a stable organization, coaching staff, young quarterback. Maybe they don't run quite as high a percentage going forward. I think that the league will catch up a little, but Mark Ingram's a speed bump. I mean, all the RPO stuff, all the zone read stuff that he excelled at at Ohio State, and you give him a pretty big hole and he just you know, takes it for 20 or the distance. I think there's a lot of that in his future in Baltimore. And, and when you guys asked me about Edwards Hilaire, I almost went on and on saying, boy, I'd rather pick 103 than 101, though, and, and, and just take Dobbins and be thrilled with it and maybe get a little juice, you know, give me a third-round pick or something. Because I think Dobbins easily could be the clear number one when we look at this two years from now. Yeah, I agree with you. Dobbins was my number two running back after um, 
right behind DeAndre Swift before the draft. And right now, you know, I think we could talk about the great landing spot of Clyde Edwards Hilaire with the Chiefs in that offense. And it is. And we could talk sure. about the great scheme fit of Jonathan Taylor behind that offensive line in, in Indianapolis. But I don't think there's a better fit scheme wise than JK Dobbins in that Baltimore offense. And you I even agree. all we gotta do is look at Ohio State. Look what he did the first year he was there when they were running a lot of spread and RPO stuff. Then year two with Dwayne Haskins, a totally different style offense. He kind of took a little bit of step back. And this year, as soon as Justin Fields was in controls, all of a sudden we saw Dobbins being that electric explosive playmaker. And I think you're right. You fast forward two years. I think his ceiling is the highest. He's never going to be a 70 catch guy. And I don't think that's going to be the Baltimore offense, but I think he could be a 40 to 45 catch guy. And I think the, you know, Lamar's runs a lot right now, and I think it's always going to be a staple of his game early in his career. But fast forward another year or two, is he going to be running as much inside the 10-yard line? Or is Baltimore going to start to say, we gotta, we got we to gotta hone that back a little bit and not let our star quarterback take some unnecessary hits maybe near the goal line when things are a little bit more compact? And that could be right at the same time where J.K. Dobbins is starting to get 60 70% of that workload that I think you're right. His ceiling... I think is as high as anybody because I'm not sure Clyde Edwards Hilaire is ever going to be a guy who's an 18 to 20 touch guy. I think he's going to be more in that world of Alvin Kamara, 14, 16 touches, very good, can be explosive in those touches, you know, pick up that PPR production. But the Dobbins, I think, I agree with you long term. I think he could be the highest of that. If we take this to Jonathan Taylor, are you concerned at all that he is a little bit more reliant upon his surroundings, his environment, that offensive line needs to give him a little bit of a runway and then he's unstoppable. He needs to be a reception guy. Matt and I have been saying it and I heard you say it on the last Dino Blueprint. In some ways, to me, in receiving, he's Leonard Fournette is his ceiling. And we saw Leonard Fournette yeah. not do much until this year and it's more of just a check down option and who knows if they even really ever utilize him in that role in Indianapolis. Does that make you a little bit scared of John Jonathan Taylor, that he's a little bit more dependent upon his surroundings, upon touchdowns, and doesn't have that built-in, you know, safety valve of receptions. Absolutely. I mean, I think he's Chubb Fournette in the receiving game and probably never will catch as many passes as Fournette did last year, which were a lot of dump-offs and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I do think that's a very smart organization and I feel like the new face of the Colts is Quentin Nelson. Like, we're going to build a king-size rushing attack. Pittman is a huge receiver. We're going to be the biggest offense on the block, and it's going to go through our O-line and Taylor. And that's great, and that fits Taylor extremely well. And I think Taylor, and especially Dobbins, have a better chance to lead the league in rushing than a guy like Edward Tolaire. But, like, Pro Football Focus showed you that – you know, of the catchable passes thrown his way, many of them weren't receptions. I mean, he's not Jordan Howard, but I think he's in that spectrum, the, you know, Fournette to Howard, somewhere in between there. And he's great with the ball in his hands, but does he influence the passing game enough for me to get the yardage and the touchdowns that people think? I have some concerns. I mean, I like him. I like the fit. If I was a Colts fan, I'd be thrilled that they grabbed them. They're going to try to control the game and play small ball. But I'd rather have Dobbins, I think, the more I think about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. And and, and we've been a big fan of J.K. Dobbins here at Saturday and Sunday for 
the entire year from preseason all the way through. So it's great to see that he's finally in a place where maybe he can thrive. And and, and I'm not going to lie, maybe we could still buy him on a little bit of a cheap as people are willing to trade those top picks away. Maybe I can, like you said, get a little juice and move down from 1-1 or 1-2 and get to 1-3 or even just move up two spots from 1-5. So we'll see. There's a lot of opportunity there. And before we leave running backs, I just want to throw a couple names at you, Matt, and get your kind of feelings on them both from a you know a schematic fit and also from a dynasty fit and long-term lens. How about you know players that we were kind of high on pre-draft here were, were players like Cam Akers and DeAndre Swift. Um, because of their versatility, a lot more in terms of projection with Cam Akers, the idea of what he could be, seeing what he could do potentially, and then now the realities of where they landed. What about your thoughts on Swift, Akers, and I'll throw one more at you. Are you on the Kishon Vaughn hype train. Kinda. Um, <laughs> okay. So unpack that. I gave you a lot there. I'll hit them all briefly. Let's start with Vaughn. The second he got drafted, I think I tweeted out, he's going to lead the lead. He's going to lead the box in rushing this year. I mean, I think he'll be a solid protection receiving option. And that's all Brady's going to care about. I don't trust Ronald Jones in protection. Therefore I can't put him on the field with Tom Brady period. End of sentence. And, I still only have Vaughn as my 12th overall rookie, though, because I think he could have a really good year, have a productive year, and then they might take it back in the second round next year. You know, like, he's still just a guy to me. I mean, in the reality of it all, fantasy for one year could be highly productive, but I think they'll look at him and say, we can do better. You know, we we can find someone next year. I like Swift. I can see why he'd be your number one. I think we can't sleep on how good that Lions offense was when Stafford was healthy. I thought it was exceptional. They draft two guards. I love the sound of that. But maybe I'm crazy. I think Carrion Johnson's good at football. And I don't know that Matt Patricia is the guy I want to invest in because I don't trust him at all. I think he's bonkers. So I kind of feel bad for Swift's landing spot. But if he becomes the man or they trade carry on and they trade people as soon as you get in the doghouse in the blink of an eye, look out because I think that offense could be one of the best in the league that people aren't talking about. I just put a couple bucks on yesterday, Cam Akers to win the offensive rookie of the year and got really good odds. It's like 10 to win 200 or something. I think he's a really good player. I think people look at the Rams and say, They're broken. McVay doesn't know anything about football anymore. That was a flash in the pan. Why didn't they draft offensive line? They're crazy. And, yeah, I would have addressed the offensive line more than they did. But people forget that if there would have been seven playoff teams last year, like there will be this year, the Rams would have been number seven. The end of the season, after trading for Austin Corbett, went much, much better for that offensive line And they have some promising dudes like Joe Noteboom. I mean, I know that don't sound like much, but I don't think that line is just a total train wreck. I thought it played much better down the stretch, but nobody was paying attention to it. You know, I I just have to ask you this before we move on from running back, because this is something that we've been kind of piloting as a kind of a consciousness moving moving through the league, at least it seems in the way that draft capital has been distributed over the last two years, and really the way the game of football has evolved. We have this kind of notion of a what we're calling, for lack of a better term, we're calling them a slot back. The idea of a player that is capable of playing both the slot and also 
ex- and also executing from the running back position. Mm-hmm. We could talk about LaVisca Chenault, but we can also talk about a couple of these running backs, specifically J.K. Dobbins could probably move into the slot if he needed to, but he's also capable of playing running back. DeAndre Swift, same thing. I'm just curious. Do you, in the in the world, in the realm of the NFL, do you see the emergence of trying to find finally a home for players that used to be players like Percy Harvin? Do we see those players finally finding maybe consistent work, whether they're running backs or quote-unquote slot receivers, but those hybrid players that can do both and have done both at the next level? Is that something that you're kind of sensitive to? Is that even real or is it a mirage? No, I, I think you're dead on. And I haven't heard the term slot back, but I do the move the six guys. I heard Bucky calling them a wing back, you know, like there you the go. 1950s. Let's go wing back. I'm a, right. I'm right. Who am I to question Bucky Brooks here? I know. I mean, like it's 1950, you know, I mean, things are, you know, come around from the horizontal, right, Matt? Horizontal Absolutely. stretch. I mean, Let's get them going. I, I, I think you're talking about like the Debo Samuels, right? I mean, yeah, kind of of like, exactly. You know, like. I think that's LaVisca. I think that's Antonio Gibson. I, I think every team's going to, the smart teams are already going that direction, you know, orbit motion and all yep. the different things that provides, but more physical player than, you know, the, the Tyree kill type. That's just a burner coming at you in jet motion. I absolutely think that's here to stay. And Percy Harvin's a great example of it. And maybe it's only, three or four more carries, or maybe it's, I don't know, 20 carries over the course of the year for fantasy reasons for someone that's listed as a WR, but that's helpful. And I think it just makes them more useful on the field. Like I think Brandon Ayuk might get a couple carries this year. Yeah, I I totally agree. Even guys like Lynn Bowden, I'm thinking about Lynn Bowden as well. I'm thinking about the Antonio Gibsons. I'm even, as you were saying earlier, and I'm thinking about players that, like you said, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. I'm thinking about that because I'm also wondering it could work the other way. Dev- Devin Duvernay was another one who came to mind. Good one. Yeah. You know, the, the other way was it could work the other way. Clyde Edwards Hilaire may be a guy who ends up making a living mostly in the slot and occasionally goes into the backfield. It could be that teams begin to leverage that asset as being somebody that they could say, instead of widening the running back depth of their chart or the wide receiver part of their depth chart, maybe they can start playing around with some of these hybrid players to really get double whammy in terms of bang for your buck. So it, it's just a, it was just the thought as I was kind of reading the tea leaves over the last two years, we're horizontal stretching, we're willing to, it seems like we're willing to stretch teams out and go a different way. Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think guys like you know Antonio Gibson and, and Lynn Bowden Jr. and you know even Devin Duvernay and you know, there's a bunch of guys that from this draft class. That it's going to be really fascinating to see what type of utilization the offenses kind of scheme up for these guys and can anybody translate it to fantasy? Because right now I feel like Antonio Gibson's arrow is pointing up in dynasty circles, and I like the player and I'm intrigued by it, but I'm not sure the Redskins are the right team and the no, right, right spot right now to maximize that skill set so I don't know like I think he could be a great dynasty buy in like a year or two like maybe like people get tired of him not producing so it's going to be very interesting to kind of see you know how those guys are utilized from Gibson to Bowden and even DuVernay in that Baltimore offense I'd have more confidence in Baltimore scheming things for DuVernay and even you know Gruden scheming things for Lynn Bowden in that offense than I would Antonio Gibson who's the guy who seems to be going highest uh in fantasy circles right now now, Real quick on that, I, yeah. I wonder if you guys agree on Gibson because 
you know, you watch him at the senior bowl and I'm like, oh, he'll be a nice, nice fifth round pickup for somebody, you know, be a, a return guy, gadget guy, learn both receiver and running back slowly. And I don't even care they land in Washington, which isn't ideal, but I don't think it's hard to picture him being a running back that runs too high and doesn't see the holes or, and, and a receiver that doesn't run sharp routes. And then you're nothing. Yeah, I mean, I'll let Paul chime in as well. I mean, my initial feeling was I think a lot was made of his his kind of visual perceptive skill that he was this amazing kind of elusive player in the open field at mm-hmm. all times. And I didn't I, I think the open field versus tight spaces versus open spaces is a really important discussion. And I think that I did not see that in, in terms of his level of play. I didn't always see it, which means to me that you know, pursuit angles, understanding blocking angles, understanding second and first and second level defenders and their pursuit angles on you, even understanding game script and where you need to be and what you need to execute. I didn't always see that at times from him in terms of him as a wide receiver or as a running back. So I thought there was a lot of development needed, but he would need the opportunity to develop. So in that way, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about Washington because I feel like it's wide open, but I also think he's going to need somebody to believe in him and invest in him. Yeah. Right. And, and not expect too much too early. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what happens when you go in the third round to a team that doesn't have a lot. And listen, it, it doesn't have to be Washington. It could have been another team that's just not far, that that's not close to competing. To me, he was a cherry on top of an offense. He Perfect, was a, he, yeah. he was a type of guy that if you have a really good offense and you want to add some versatility and uniqueness to it, he was the perfect guy because as what Matt Williamson was saying there, no, he's not going to be this great running back and he's not going to be this great wide receiver. So he's this utilization piece, this versatile offensive weapon. But I think now he's in a spot where they're going to expect a lot, probably too soon. And that's why I think it was a little rich. And I think people are getting excited about him more in fantasy because he did go in the top 100 picks. And I think they might be a little, might be a little disappointed, you know, especially early on. I, I, I don't think people have the patience that sometimes they portray in dynasty leagues. And then I think they're going to be a little disappointed early on. So Matt, let's transition to the wide receivers and kind of tie it in with one thing with running backs of the five running backs. How many of them, let's say your needs are pretty much equal. You don't have a glaring need on your dynasty roster. In a vacuum, how many of the running backs would you take in a dynasty rookie draft before you think about Judy and Lamb? And then talk about Judy and Lamb. All five? Yeah, and that's not a knock on Judy or Lamb. I I think Judy's a better NFL prospect than any of those running backs, and that's probably true for Lamb, but that's not how fantasy works. And Dynasty, I never draft for need. Even if I had zero wide receivers on my roster, I'd still take those five running backs because I know I'm an active trader. I'm going to take the best guy no matter what. I never draft for need in Dynasty. But I think those five, it's just such a great feeling in fantasy to be able to, to, you know, put in two running backs that you check the box every week and a flex that are all running backs that are in the top 15, top 18. That's how you win leagues nowadays. And those five, to me, have a really good chance to be at a minimum RB2s going forward. And I love Judy. I love Lamb. I I like Rager and Pittman quite a bit, too. I'm getting those guys everywhere I can. But the, run, the, the running back value because of the position makes them the top five picks for me. 
if we discuss this and transition this to Lamb and Judy, who do you like more between those two? And, you know, some people look at the Lamb going to Dallas and are concerned because of the depth chart, but I, I think sometimes people overvalue that. I remember I was fighting from the hilltop not to overvalue the depth chart with Calvin Ridley in Atlanta, and he's had two really good seasons, you know, productive fantasy seasons, and his arrow, I think, is still pointing up in the future. So how do you kind of, because, you know, Sutton is a young player who emerged last year, so it's not like Judy is there by himself they invested in kj hamler in round two you know in dallas they have you know at least cooper probably for two years we'll see after that michael gallup's a good young player so how do you kind of decipher between them are you falling i know i'm personally falling on pre-draft who i had judy a little bit ahead of lamb so i'm still keeping it that way where's your take on the judy lamb comparison very similar um I don't love the landing spots, but I certainly could envision Lamb being the Cowboys' leading receiver from 2021 to 2025. You know, I mean, every year, boom, 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 80 catches, 100 catches. T- things change quick, and he'll be there. Um, I, I, maybe I'm nuts, and everyone, after five games, everyone's anointing Drew Locke as a franchise quarterback. I mean, he was a second-round pick and played against some bad defenses in those five games, and Elway's track record's not so great. And I don't understand why they weren't in the Andy Dalton sweepstakes. I mean, to put nothing behind him is kind of mind-boggling to me. But exactly what you said, Judy versus Lamb, I put Judy ahead of Lamb because I thought he was a better NFL prospect, and I thought he was the best receiver in this draft. So, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to say that, you know, a a personal, um, no, I should, I should leave bias out of this. I want the authentic (laughs) Matt Williams response here. Okay. I'm going to ask for the authentic response. What do you think about Jalen Rager? Love. He's right behind those guys. And maybe. I I love you, Matt. I love you. (laughs) I mean, so we just had a moment. I don't know if you felt it. Electricity digitally. It happened. Yeah. I I mean, just dynasty rookie ranks. I have Judy six behind those those five running backs. I have Lamb seven, Rager eight, and Pittman nine. And Rager and Pittman are the two I'm infatuated with. Like, if I have six or seven in my draft, I'd love to move back to eight or nine, maybe even ten and roll the dice to get one of those guys and pick up more juice. Like, I, I recognize that Judy and Lamb are better football players or better prospects but I don't think it's by leaps and bounds. I think Rager is super incredibly explosive. I can't get over that stat that many people recycle, including myself, that like one third of the passes thrown his way last year were catchable. Like imagine if he was at Bama or let alone Oklahoma. I mean, come on. I mean, he is a powerful, explosive dude. And the Eagles told us everything they need to tell us. I mean, they're, they're getting bashed for drafting Jalen Hurts in the second round. Well, I think they looked at it like we have one need in this draft, and it's wide receiver, so we're going to bring in five of them, and Rager's our favorite, and we can take a luxury pick in the second round of Jalen Hurts. They adore Rager. I adore Wentz. I love that organization. I think he's clearly number eight. And then Pittman's another one of the guys I'm infatuated with, too. I like both those guys more than Jefferson or Rob. Yeah, I mean- you, you brought up Jefferson, so let's go there for a second. I like the player. I, I do question a little bit. I feel like even though he ran faster at the combine than I think many people expected, I still think he's best in the slot. Kind of like yeah. I thought Juju Smith could play both inside and outside, but I thought he was best in the slot. I think Jefferson is similar in that regards, but I think that's also Adam Thielen's home for, for the short term, and I think that's where he's at his best. So do you think it's going to be an interchangeable thing with those two, or are you going to try to force Jefferson to play more on the outside 
and that could hinder, you know, maybe his early production where some people think he might get the most targets of any of the rookie wide receivers this year because, you know, Stefan Diggs is not there, you know, and then the last one I'll bring up and then I'll let Matt chime in is thoughts on T Higgins long-term. I know right now with AJ green and, you know, Tyler Boyd, there seems to be a lot of mouths to feed, but what do you think about his long-term upside kind of now tied at the hip to Joe Burrow in that Bengals offense? Let's start with Jefferson. He worries me. I mean, I think he's a good football player. My favorite team drafted him, fine. But a couple things you mentioned there, like he came to LSU as not much of a recruit. There was constant worries about speed, explosion, athleticism, and he had a monster year this past year and deserved every bit of credit that he got. He ran well at the Combine, but I don't think he plays like a 4-4 guy. You know, I mean... Uh, he probably worked on his starts and is a better track runner than he is on the field. Not that he's slow and not that 40 times are really that important for receivers, to be honest. But I don't think he's fast as an NFL wide receiver. And you mentioned it. I definitely think he's definitely best in the slot. And I think Thielen deserves credit, their time there. But they use three receivers less than any team in the league. And so there is no slot. Well, you know what's interesting about that point right there is I I actually think that this is going to be more of a – this is a different show entirely, but I actually really like Irv Smith in that yes. offense moving forward. Oh, so, we're we're buddies, man. Oh, well, we, we already had a moment, Matt, so it doesn't <laughs> matter. We're just building on that chemistry right there. But, um, you know, I mean, in terms of movement skill, that guy was incredible in Bama. I'm excited for him. Uh, this upcoming year, and and listen, there's a capacity and a potential in a in a world where you know, like you said earlier, you know, rising tide raises all ships. It could be that they become a more explosive offense. We'll see how it goes. Um, but I do have questions about, as Paul said, when you when you talk about guys that are, let's say, let's say fringe, well, let's say polarizing players like Rugs and Higgins and uh, Ayuk. I mean, these are players that I think. I've seen players taking those guys in the first round. I've seen some of them drop to the top of the second round. Um, out of the, that group, Ruggs and Higgins, and we already know your love for Pittman, but Ruggs, Higgins, Ayuk, what do, you, what do you make of that group? And are you willing to invest in any of those guys or maybe all of them? Right in that area, though, the turn. You're like, I have Ayuk as my 11. I have Ruggs my 13. Higgins my 14. And you mentioned Higgins before. Uh, his bad workouts don't really worry me. I think he fits this system. I have faith in the new coach-quarterback combination in Cincinnati. I don't think Ross or A.J. Green will be a Bengal much longer, So, or even if one of them moves on. So I think there's a, a pretty good path to early playing time. I A lot of in-breaking routes for Higgins I think fits him well. But he's an early second to me. I mean, I'm not doing cartwheels over the guy. Going into the draft, and I believe this to be true post-draft, that I said, I think Ruggs' addition to his new team, not knowing where he's going to land, will pay off more than any receiver in this class. But I don't want him on my fantasy team. You know, I think he impacts those around him a great deal, and that brings a ton of value, and the AFC West defensive coordinators aren't happy he landed with the Raiders, but I don't trust Carr to go deep. I don't trust Mariota to go deep, and I think Ruggs still has those Deshaun Jackson, Ted Gidden, you know, hit or miss attributes to him for fantasy, although I think he's better than Ted Ginn. Don't get me wrong, and they'll get, he'll catch more slants and be better after the catch, but I just don't think he's a high-volume guy, and 
I'm not so sure two years from now, Brian Edwards isn't their leading receiver. Oh, my God. You just took the next question <laughs> out of my mouth. I'm sorry. There, that was a, We're like there was best a major, friends now. I mean, it was a major emotional moment for me right there. As well. <laughs> uh, you know, I have, to, I, have to, I have to calm myself. But, I mean, you said it right there. I mean, listen, I had Brian Edwards absurdly high compared to consensus before the draft. I had him as a player that I thought was probably in the top five of wide receivers in this class. Wow. I had a not because of his versatility, but because of his depth of skill within particular areas of the field. He could do some things very well. And I'm just curious if you have an affinity for him being somebody that is a late round target or a a buy low potential target. Do you think the hype around Brian Edwards probably taking a lead role could be something that comes to fruition? Absolutely. And there's four guys... I kind of feel like there's 16 really good prospects in this draft, with Chenault being the, the last one, Mims at 15, Chenault at 16. And then I think there's a group of Anthony McFarland and Claypool with my Steelers, A.J. Dillon, who I don't really like, but I think you have to respect how the Packers view him, and Edwards as that middle-of-the-second-round dynasty area that I like a lot, and I keep moving them around between 17 and 20 and basically, they're all the same to me. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. The amount of people, I'm right there with you, you know, in terms of where it kind of cuts off. You mentioned LaVisca Chenault, and well, this will be the last wide receiver question. And you also mentioned Denzel Mims. You know, interesting, Denzel Mims had got a lot of push in the pre-draft process after his combine in a senior bowl. But I think when people watched the film, it kind of leveled back out to where he should have, I thought, been selected. And then LaVisca Chenault, like, he kind of pushed through an injury, tested poor at the combine. You know, he's an interesting guy, though, because I think after the catch him and Brandon Ayuk maybe are the two best in in the dress especially with their play strength and physicality yeah. of Chenault and I, I I don't believe Gardner Minshew is the long-term answer in Jacksonville I've been pretty adamant about that but I do think he's a guy who thrives in the short to intermediate range Minshew so I, I could see early on maybe a lot of opportunities after the catch for Chenault it'll be interesting to see what they put on his plate because I think they need to utilize him similar to how San Francisco used Debo Samuel the jet sweeps, the touch passes, the quick stuff. Is that how you kind of see Chenault? And do you see some early success or do you think it'd be a little bit of a growing pains for him? And what about Denzel? It's a good question. Um, I think Chenault, I mean, I don't think we have to squint too hard to have Chenault catching passes a year from now and for the foreseeable future from Fields or Lawrence. And then it's like, oh, you know, now maybe I should have taken him higher this year in the rookie draft. I think there's a ton of ability there. I wonder in how messed up the world is if he would have not worked out at the combine, but he had got drafted higher, you know, like Edwards and Chenault and some of these injury guys, when there's a 30 for 30 of the tr- crazy 2020 NFL offseason, we might look back like he should have been a top 15 pick. You know, we just didn't have enough medical information on him. So he had to fall, you know, but I also believe deep in my heart that the Jags are the worst organization in the league, and I don't like putting my money investing in them from ownership on down. I don't care unless they hire a coach that um, I'm going to trust, but the front office, the, the whole situation to me is ugly. So I, that's why he's last on that list. As for Mims, I can't lie. He was my fourth receiver before the draft, and I kept watching him fall going, uh-oh, you know, my spidey sense is tingling to see if cooties, to see if some injury or a failed drug test that we don't know about. And in the end, I'm not so sure that it, it was. it's not unlike 
DK Metcalf falling last year. I mean, like guys in the later second round these past couple of years have hit huge. And I still think Mims draft capital is not where I expect it to be, but it's not awful. And I think he'll be the Robbie Anderson with the Jets and they now have a line and I'm a Darnold believer. So I dropped him a little, but I think he's more of a value now than, you know, where I expected. Yeah, I think I think you're you're spot on that, and and there's such a deep class. So even though he fell a little bit, it's not like there were a lot of crazy guys going ahead of him. You know that he he was falling like really shockingly. I think it was more it was a deep class. You know each each team had their board probably very different based on what they needed, and and Mims just kind of fell down there. But the Jets played the board perfectly in the second round, moving back and and still securing a guy like Mims and picking up additional assets. Let's pivot, yeah, and, I'm and, gonna... and you know how that works. I mean, he may have been the runner up. Five- Five times, you know, like of course. maybe the Bengals at two one were torn between Hibben, you know, Higgins and, and Mims, and if they would have just went the other direction, we'd all talk about it differently. You know, like with with all these receivers being second five times in a row makes it look a lot worse than it really is. Yeah, and, and I think that's spot on. Like, I think I heard yesterday that Minnesota was primed, and again, I don't, we don't know if it's true or not, but I, I forgot who said it, but someone said that Minnesota was primed to take Michael Pittman in round one, and they pivoted to Justin Jefferson, who mm-hmm. they didn't expect to be there. So things like that you know, could have happened throughout the second round as well. So let's pivot to the last question of the night, and we'll group those the other two positions into the final question. Where do you stand on the Tua versus Joe Burrow debate in terms of dynasty? Is it close? Do you have a separation between them? And then who would be one or two tight ends that you would pick in a rookie draft, maybe in round three or four, and say, I'll hold them for a couple years and hope? Uh, tight end question. I, I have a little bit of an affinity, uh, an addiction to keeping young, high upside tight ends on my roster that I can never check the box on Sunday morning for my fantasy team but I have five or six of them because I fall in love with them and occasionally they hit and occasionally they come around and, um, you know, my tight end coach is busy grooming them year after year. And the two that I end up with a lot, usually I'm done drafting and then I'm sitting there and I'm watching Troutman and Aussie Aussie fall and fall. And I start trading next year's picks to grab one of them thinking, man, Sean Payton loved this guy. Jared Cook's the only thing in his way. I I don't care if Breeze is back or not, but scheming up the tight end in New Orleans and New England with two guys that are, were very high on my list to begin with, I think Troutman and Aussie Aussie are very, very intriguing. And I would, wouldn't hesitate to use an early third on them. You can sometimes get them at the end of the third. So when they start falling, I start calling and calling and calling. And you get them pretty cheap. Burrow, I mean, if it's super flex, he's my first pick. I mean, I think he's a star. I think he's a great player. I'm a Tua believer as well. I trust the Dolphins organization much more than the Bengals, but I do think the Bengals are going the right direction, and I think both have found their young coach. I like that Miami put a bunch of big space-moving, overpaid offensive linemen in front of Tua, and they're going to try to mash your face with – Jordan Howard and a running back to be named later, much like Bama did. I mean, I think they both are good. I always talk about quarterbacks landing in a nice nest. Like I thought the Giants last year built a nice nest for Daniel Jones. And part of it was shipping Odell and his mouth out of there. And I think the the Bengals and the Dolphins are both nice nests for a rookie to land in. 
Well, and you know, that kind of takes me to, to my final question as, as we kind of wrap this all up and maybe kind of take a 35,000 foot view of this class, talking about all the nests and different types of ecosystem that these players can kind of fall into. Who are some of your sleeper players that you're thinking, you know what, I know we probably mentioned them already, but if you could summarize for our listeners, a couple of sleepers, guys that you think are going to go later than their value would actually trend out of the groups of players we talked about today, or maybe players we didn't mention, who do you think is somebody you're grabbing or trying to trade back into your draft to go get? I mentioned Aussie Aussie and Troutman. They end up on my team a lot. In that neighborhood, Antonio Gandy-Golden tends to, and, and Devin Duvernay end up on my team quite a bit as well. I'm just kind of scrolling here. I end up with Anthony McFarland a lot, and I hope I'm not too Steeler Homer for that. But no, no, no. I want I want McFarland on my team and Duvernay. So again, yeah, again, uh, we're we're beyond a cup of coffee. We're on the third uh, date right now. Oh yeah, yeah. We're we're, we're joined. We're, we're, I mean, I said there's 16 really good prospects. <laughs> I have McFarland 17. I mean, uh, he may lead the Steelers in rushing this year. I, I'm I'm close to the team. Connor won't be back next year. And maybe they draft somebody else. And I'm not saying McFarland's ever going to be a workhorse, but I trust the organization. Coach Tomlin's son went to college with the guy. Like, there, there's too many connections. He's explosive. Uh, I think McFarland is somebody I have to have. Yeah, we've been fans of McFarland. You watch his 2018 film. He looks like a top 50 pick. Right. Last year, he was battling an injury a lot. Uh, and you brought it up, so I got to at least ask your thoughts here before I say thanks for coming on the show. There were some reports. I think it was the Pittsburgh, one of the Pittsburgh beat writers a couple a week or two ago mentioned that he didn't think Connor Villanueva or Juju were going to be back le- next year. Do you think that's legitimately a possibility that they could move on from Juju as well? I don't think Connor will be back. I just think his... They can't trust his body, and I don't think you invest in running backs anyways. Big Al at left tackle slipped a little last year. He just, like, everyone in the locker room makes a joke, I want to work for Al whenever he does the next thing in life. Like, he is unbelievably smart, former Army Ranger. Like, he may just decide, I'm going to go start a company and be a Fortune 500 guy. You know, like, football's great. I've done that. I might move on. So that's a possibility, but I think that'd be more on him. Juju is a tough one. I mean, like for fantasy or redraft, I'll gladly grab Juju at the price he's at. He played injured last year. The quarterback situation was hurt. He re- he realized it's tougher to be Batman than Robin, but I don't know if the team gives him $18 million. You know, like that's a tough one for me. I, I give that one about 50-50. And Bud Dupree's up too, so... We'll see. I mean, I bet two of those four come back. Yeah, it's going to be interesting uh, for sure. So, Matt, thank you again for coming on the podcast. We always love, enjoy talking to you about these prospects. Uh, Please, I'm sure most of our audience follows you, but please let them know where to follow you. If there's anything else you're working on or want to uh, promote, feel free. Yeah, I mentioned I'm recording a podcast before this, Locked on NFL. And I'm recording the Dynasty Blueprint after this. So check those two out. And I'm on Twitter, at WilliamsonNFL. Much appreciated. Make sure you're checking out both those podcasts. Great stuff. Some of my favorite podcasts to listen to on a regular basis. Make sure you're following them on Twitter as well. Matt Caraccio, any final parting shot here? No, I mean, I think that, you know, what's great about having, you know, people like Matt on is 
the vast amount of experience just brings a level of sensitivity to these situations that not all of us really possess. And to hear certain things resonate, I know we were talking in jest throughout, but I mean, to hear things resonate should remind us all of the fact of why all of these shows, including the ones that matter on like Dynasty Blueprint, as well as Locked on NFL, it doesn't matter where you're listening to it. But when you listen to experts that have that experience, that have those ideas and experiences from their background, it just, it kind of adds that layer of, information that you may need to break those kind of crucial ties during draft day in your leagues so i think all information is great information and matt delivers it as some of the best in this entire world of nfl football so matt greatly appreciated oh thanks so much matt that was awesome this was a blast it's funny you brought that up because my personal first facebook page today you know somehow it pops up those memories and like 15 years ago today, here's a picture of you and George W. Bush at Brown's practice with my Brown's gear, and he's signing that. And I'm like, that was 15 years ago. Holy smokes. And they still haven't won the AFC North. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Absolutely. Guys, This is uh, make sure you're following Matt, checking out all his stuff. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. So on behalf of Matt Williamson, on behalf of Matt Caraccio, and myself, and our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.